Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute, and I hope you're well wherever you happen to be listening to this in the world. Today, our very special guest is Lorena Torres Ronda, who is the performance coordinator at the Spanish Basketball Federation. She's also a Leaders Performance Advisor here at the Institute. Many of you will have met Lorena or enjoyed conversations with her down the years. She even spoke on stage at Leaders during her time at the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers. So she came onto the show today to chat about her experience and her role at the 2022 Eurobasket Championships, which Spain's men won back in September. It was a superb victory and against the odds in many ways, as the team was in transition. She joined the Federation just before the delayed Tokyo Olympics and remains with the team on their journey. The Eurobasket was a wonderful success that surprised many and I really wanted to talk to Lorena about that triumph, what it meant for the Spanish Federation, the players and the supporters, and what it meant for the country as a whole. We also delved into some of the high performance themes that underpinned the team's progress and her role in delivering that. So, without any further ado, let's get into the conversation. Lorena, welcome to the Leaders Performance Podcast. It's great to have you here with us today. Thank you, John, for having me. It's my pleasure. Fantastic. And I know we're here today to talk about Spain's victory in the 2022 Eurobasket competition. And the best place to start for me would be if you could explain what it meant for Spain as a country, as a program, how important was that success? Obviously, it was a huge success because we we were in a position of a transition. We had this group of players very successful for many, many years, players that like a lot of people know, winning world championships, gold medals, Olympic medals, and we were transitioning to a young group of people. So there was a lot of unknowns how it was going to go. But I think to answer your question, that it was a success as a program, not only for this group, which obviously was a success for this group, but for the Spanish Federation, because this group of players were coming from the youth 16, 17, 20. They have been part of this program as a whole since years ago. So they knew the system, they knew how to play, they knew the, the Spanish competitive passion, and it just worked. It, we were merging in this program. So it was a success for the group and for the program, for sure. That's really great to hear. But what about your experience personally? What, is it, what was it like to be working alongside a team that was ultimately successful? For me personally, it was the experience, uh, an absolutely fantastic and terrific experience, being part of something. When people say sometimes leaders, or you can read in the books, that purpose is being, being part of something bigger than yourself. That's what you feel like. I'm here and I'm just a tiny part of a group that has been successful. And as a purpose, and, and for me, it was, was huge. I've been my whole life, you know, John, this working with lead athletes and you work for things like this, achievements like this. So it was a very great reward. And when you reflect on your personal contribution to the team as they experienced success at the Eurobasket, what were your personal hopes within your role as the team entered the competition? Where did you feel that you would have the most impact? Yeah, it, it was one of those situations where you have a role 
you are a part of a group and you have a role and some duties and specific duties. And because you want the best for the group, you want to contribute in as many things as you can. But my role and my part of contribution to the group was mainly focused on, I could say, two things. The monitoring and programming of the loads. What were we, what are we going to do in the sessions from a load perspective, contents, uh, half core, full core, this long, this, this intensity, this volume. So the programming and the monitoring of the load. And then as a strength and back to being a strength and conditioning coach. So that was my contribution, helping in the programming and monitoring of training loads and the strength and conditioning. That's great. And as a wider high performance team, how did you ensure there were clear goals and role responsibilities? You've already spoken a little bit about your role in that, but as a broader team, how did you ensure that there were clear priorities and clear goals? That's one of the things that is more challenging when you are part of a group, especially of a group that is passionate about doing things. But I think there were like pretty clear roles. We, we had a staff quite big for what is a national team. We are three strength coaches, me as a in charge of technology, programming, reporting systems. We have PTs, obviously as coaches, like basketball coaches. We have an analyst. So it's like an orchestra. I know it's an example that has been used before, but it's like we have the director of the orchestra, which in our case was really the head coach. He's a a tremendous director of people and a leader in that in that sense. And then we had our duties, our roles pretty clear. And as in any team, it was about communication, coordination, and just putting the work. So yeah, I think we were like a kind of a big group for these situations or this context with pretty clear roles for each one. Right. And within that, was there space for developmental feedback? even social support for players and for staff? I'm not sure if I understand the question because it's difficult. If you mean personal development during the preparation of a tournament that is that short, it's difficult. When you are in a team during a whole season, there is room for, you know, you have the preseason, you can see how the loads are going, you can see how the tactics or the systems in the team, so you can grow in that sense from the basketball uh, perspective. And then... One of each of the individuals, you can, you can feel you grow during the season because you learn from mistakes, because you get better at things, etc. In that short period of time, you are really all the time in a competition phase because the preparation is super short. And even from the beginning, you have few training sessions and it's very focused to prepare games. So if I understand the question in a general sense it's not like a full season where you feel you grow during the season now having said that the personal growth when you are part of something like this is incredible because everything is condensed that if you have issues with your colleagues everything is amplified you have to solve the problems much quicker than if you are in a team you have to do your best and put your best in a shorter time. So personally, I think you grow faster as a as a person rather than a personal development 
um, as a knowledge or content or general growth as a professional. It's more like, okay, this is short. It's eight to 10 weeks maximum. Maybe it could be six, it could be four. So you have a short period of time to give your best and also be prepared for when, how do you say, like the worst is coming to react very, very fast. You have to adapt really, really fast. So it's a, it's a personal growth or it's a growth in a, in a really short period of time. I see. And I'd love to talk about contingency planning a little bit later in our conversation. But in light of your answer there, Lorena, what were some of your key high-performance priorities, the things that gave you the biggest impact when considering the profile of your playing group? You said it was a team in transition. You said that the window of opportunity was quite small compared to a whole season. Were there ways perhaps in which you were seeking to innovate in your role? Managing loads, I know is a hot topic. Like in our community, we have been talking about load management for a while. But I think because now we have the opportunity to have technology in the federation and in this group to see how the players are performing from an external low perspective, that was very insightful for us to give guide to coaches. We can push more. We should push more. This player, we're going to manage him putting in and out in these drills. So I know it seems not innovative, but for this group it was, or it is, having the objective information to help coaches or to help the group to make better decisions in terms of how much do we train, how much we can push, we can go farther. And I think, and I hope, it was part of the of the progression of the players. We worked a lot at the beginning. We kept working during the first preparation and the first games for prepare the competition. But then you could see all the teams were starting to be low in energy and somehow, and I'm not saying at all it was because of the external load programming, but we kept the energy. We were in shape. We had the mood. We had the, the, the players mainly. They had the, the energy, physical and mental energy to perform at the best every game which I think was a key for success, for sure. It was exciting to hear that progress. And you, of course, as a high-performance team, are learning all the time, developing capabilities. So how did you use your time of the team in training, maybe in training camps, to capitalize on your collective knowledge as a high-performance team in order to support those players and give them that energy that you described? So as you know, John, I joined the national team now, I think it's two years ago for the preparation of the Olympic Games for Tokyo. Uh, and as I said, this this place has been a part of a, a program for quite some time. And how the system, the FIBA system works now is you have, during the year, weeks of windows where you play some games for qualifying to the next big tournament, right? So I think in those windows, which usually is seven to 10 days, you get together with the group of players and coaches. That group of people might vary a bit, but you have a core of players that during the year, you get together and you prepare. And I think that's very, very important for the success of the final competition because you know to get each other. You know how training is going to look like. 
practices are very, very schematic with this coach, which is great because everybody knows to a certain degree how the structure of the week is going to be, how the session is going to look like. With the changes, that not, any session is the same, but, but you, we have a structure. And when you prepare during the year following that structure, I think it's easy for people or easier for people to be prepared. So to your question, I think that cohesion during the year, that fundamentals, having a vision of a program, having basis, clear basis of the program is super helpful for a, a type of competition like this when, when you are not together all year around. And in your time with the team, have you noticed any evolution in the way that the, the team's collective behaviors are evolving? They are a championship winning team now. They must carry themselves as champions. Did you notice any particular changes or were those behaviors set even predating your involvement? Yes, I wasn't part of the, of the group of people that has been very, very successful until the preparation of, of Tokyo, the Olympic Games. But you absolutely can sense how the Federation has done an absolutely great job, a terrific job with the legacy of previous players, especially in, in, in regards to competitiveness and the passion for the game. Because I don't think Spain always had the most physical players, uh, you know, the team with more players in the NBA, with more experienced players, which at some point they got they were the group with experience, right? But they have done a great job from the outside, me being in the outside because I wasn't part of, of that for many years, where players, like, the best players were growing and they were teaching the young players coming to the group. And then those players, those older players were retiring and the ones that were the younger players became the... Um, veterans and i think that th this has been something inside the group of players nobody i don't think nobody taught them to do this so the legacy of competitiveness is something that has been in a continuous transition in this group of players the camaraderie that they have they are they are friends they get along but they go and compete together the togetherness in this group is something which I have experienced with this more new group of players. And that's the way I can answer the question. What I've sensed is that this camaraderie, being together, fighting for the same, competing together, I, I feel, or I, 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 I think I can say I could feel it was coming from long before this group of players. What about some of the challenges you faced? What have been some of those challenges? And in answering that question, were you expecting them or were some of these challenges a surprise? Huh. The challenges, I think, many, many times have to be with people. When you are living with people for a short period of time in a very intense situation, under pressure, because we were under, like, you are under pressure. You might not be uh, one of the team's candidates to win, or you must not be in the media as a, one of the favorite ones, but you're under pressure because we are representing our country. We are representing a group of people that has been very successful in the past. So you feel the pressure. And we have high standards coming from the head coach and the federation, which is 
great. I think is the way you have to do things and the, the way you have to set the standards for a group that wants to be competitive and good. So the challenges are coming from the pressure that you can feel the, the, the relationships in, because you live 24 seven with a group of people. And in this format of competition, I don't think challenges were coming from which happens when you are in a team during a season, losing a game and the pressure that puts you when you lose a game that week because you don't have time to lose. You lose, you go home. So the challenges were more like how you're gonna, how you're, you're preparing that game, the pressure for that game, and then leading with individuals that we are very different, coordinate things, communicate things, which is normal. I'm not saying it's, it's what happens when you work with humans in high performance. It is normal as you describe it within that context, but how does the training environment in between, say, the group games, also during the knockout phase, how do those training environments differ from training environments outside of competition? What are some of the things that make it different for you? As I said at the beginning, I think it's just different when you are in a in a team during a season, even in the NBA where every we everything goes super fast. Like you don't have time to regret you lost that game because you have a game in 24 hours probably. But the the training environment is just different. Everything goes super fast, is intense. It also, I think, I said as a challenge, one of the challenges being in a group of people for a short period of time in a very intense and pressure situation. But at the same time, is one of the most beautiful things. You are with the Sp- Spanish team call themselves like the family and it feels that way because the because of exactly the same reasons you are for a short period of time you are with this group that is your family for that period of time so it feels really intense for the good too you have people that is supporting you you are supporting them we are very very lucky to have the group of players that we have because they bring good vibes, good energy, because it's short. <laughs> so I don't know how to put more examples. So I, I would just say it's just, it feels different. And do you find yourself having to prioritize? You may have 10 things that you want to do with a player, but do you find yourself focusing on, say, one or two things? That's a really good question. Because as in my role as a strength coach, I told you at the beginning, I was, I'm also a strength coach uh, with this group. And of course you see things and you're like my, your at least my mind is like, oh, we could do this and that, and it would be great to improve speed or agility. And that's my emotional side. My rational side knows that in three weeks, you're not going to improve tremendously certain qualities because you don't just physiologically, you just don't have time. So yes, it's a great case, great question because you truly have to prioritize things. And I think in a group like this, you have to prioritize players' availability. Players must be available for the coach because you don't have time or, you know, trade a player or change this one. Like you have this group of players, which is a priority too in a team, but for sure, players' availability and that they are ready for practice and, and games in a short period of time. You don't have eight weeks to develop max strength or it's just doesn't work that way you it's they have to be like ready do the activation do the strength 
and conditioning training that helps us to perform already tomorrow for competition. So priorities are make them like available, make them ready to practice and compete for competing now, not tomorrow, as an example. Recovery is a priority because this is, you have a lot of games in a short period of time. So recovery is a priority. Trying to provide the best nutrients, food, menus, uh, resources for energy is also very important. Is The priorities help the players to compete at their best. Within that context, how do you ensure that you're hoping for the best as a high-performance team, but also planning for the worst? Yes, <laughs> I think that comes also with experience. Because you definitely prepare for the, it's not that you prepare for the best. I don't think you approach these type of tournaments saying, okay, we're going to go through the eight games that we have in the preparation phase and we get to the finals, we will do this. So you don't, you don't prepare for the finals. You just prepare, I think is the, the right approach to do it. You just prepare for the next game as it is the finals. And maybe you are in qualifiers still. Your question of preparing for the best has to be preparing for the next game, which is the ne next test. Because in this format of competition, you lose, you go home. So yes, you have to have on the back of your mind some more. Maybe we get to semifinals or finals. We have to be prepared for this type of scenario. But it's really short term tomorrow's game preparation. That's how I think you approach this type of competitions. How you are prepared for the worst with experience and good capacity to adapt to things. For example, for me, the worst is when a player gets injured, an important player gets injured. So how do you prepare for those situations? You never want those situations to happen. But if they happen, if you, if you have good set of values, rules, you have had a great program where everybody knows what they have to do, they understand the dynamics of the team, is when a young player might jump, might have to jump in and is ready. That's how I think you prepare for the wars, making sure that everybody's always ready to give their best and contribute to the team. Fantastic. You mentioned your work with the players during the competition. But how and in what ways did you seek to support the coaches? What sort of questions would they ask you? How did you seek to help them? Yes, I think my, the way of helping coaches is through other people that is assisting coaches too. I think with coaches, you have to give them very clear information, short information, and again, very clear so they can value or evaluate how they're going to use this information or not. Because at the end of the day, they make the, the big decisions, right? So I think the way to help coaches is giving them information, valuable information for them so they can make better decisions if they have to or when they have to. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm guessing that in your interactions with coaches and players, you're starting to build those connections and that enables you to generate trust and understanding, right? That must have developed as the competition went on as well. Yes, trust is a curious one because trust 
in my opinion, needs time. You need to prove things to earn the trust from other people. It's not, it, you know, it's maybe I want you to trust me and I'm going to do things for you to trust me. But at the end of the day, it's you that you have to trust me with my actions and my behaviors and the information that I'm giving you. So trust is a curious one because it, like a lot of teams talk about trust when they are talking about their cultures, right? But trust is a tricky one. It's a really tricky one. It, is, it needs a lot of time and it's putting, you know, I'm going to trust these people. It's kind of like giving away a part of you. You're going to put something of you in the hands of other people. So as you said, trust, I think it's, it's a great value. And I know a lot in leaders, you guys talk many, many times about values and cultures and uh, how our culture is going to look like and the pillars of our culture and trust should be one of them. But before trust, which is very important, don't get me wrong, you have to behave and do things to build a trust that maybe goes more with question, communication, collaboration, being vulnerable, opening yourself to other people, like there are other values that are going to lead to trust. So to try to answer your question, yes, building relationship with coaches and players is a day-to-day behavior and actions to build a trust, but with other behaviors and actions to achieve that final goal. It's interesting to hear you describe those, those values that ultimately lead to those goals and building trust, but how important is the practice facility itself? Is the building important or is it more about behaviors and some of those values that you described? Oh my God, this is such a great question and nobody ever asked me this question. And it's so important because (laughs) it's great to have a super fancy facility, but at the end of the day, it's not what you need to be successful or perform at high levels. In the case of the Spanish national team, you you practice very few days somewhere, and then Spain or any team, because it's the way it works. You maybe might have five days somewhere in your country to practice and put everybody together, but then you start traveling and going to this arena and this facility, wherever in the world, like... I don't remember what we did, Canarias, France, we're going to Reykjavik next, next week so, or next month. So you go places where you don't control the facility, you don't know where the things are. I mean, we prepare, obviously, but the point is sometimes you, you might not control the facility of the environment and that can be an excuse to go there, show up, put your shoes on and do your best in that training, in that practice. Because on the other side of the coin, because I've been in many of them, luckily, I'm grateful for that, in many of very fancy facilities around the world. And some teams in the NBA, for example, they keep building these super huge, fancy, all technology facilities. But they might not have the values of the course and the right coaching and stuff, the right players to be successful. So I think it's a super interesting question because you can have the most perfect facility, but it's not absolutely no about that. Interesting. Very, very interesting indeed. And Lorena, we're coming to the end of our conversation here. It's been absolutely fascinating, but 
I wanted to ask how Spain's success at the Eurobasket contributed to the program's mission or vision. Of the Federation? Absolutely, of the Federation. Yeah, I think it's a reward for the, the work that a lot of people is putting in this program. Meaning, yes, the senior male team is just the, at the peak of an iceberg where, okay, we won the medal and it's, it's very um, a reward. It's a great reward for the, that group of people, as I said. But I think this is just the final conquer of a lot of people that is under uh, that iceberg. Like all the young players that are joining the federation and playing in the summer competitions, the coaches, the um, directors of the programs, like all the federation structure is really just a way to say, guys, what we're doing from the base and the younger kids can have a reward if we, if we follow this vision. When you reflect back on the competition, what are some of the moments you're most proud of personally? Well, that's a good question too, because obviously the moment of happiness and when you let everything go is the moment that when you win the final game in the finals, that moment was like, oh my God, I can't believe we've done this. Because during the day today, as I said, you just work, you just put the work, you just do the, the job. Just make sure that the players have everything they need to perform, that everything that you can control and help and support, it's done. So for me, one of the most beautiful moments was at the end of the last game. <laughs> the three, two, one countdown. And you say, oh my God, we won. <laughs> that was one of the most beautiful moments. And the other one was in Madrid when all the team presented the trophy to the to the fans in Madrid. They did like a presentation. That was very, very nice because all the players had the opportunity to say something. All the coaches understand we had the opportunity to say something. And being there, I, I would say that most of us, we said being part of this group with these people is what you are most proud of. So just being able to have had the experience with that particular group of people, that was really, really nice. And looking ahead, what are your priorities for the future? Paris is coming down the road now next year. What are your priorities for the year ahead? Keeping supporting my colleagues, keeping supporting the staff, the players, obviously to be able to help people to be the best version of themselves. I want to be the best version of myself. So my priority is to better reports, to be able to help people to make decisions faster or better, make sure that the when I prepare the strength sessions, they they I put in them like, as you said, priorities, focus on the goals, help the players, making better recovery if we want. So just I think it's the same, just a bit further. Fantastic. And I think that's a great place to wrap things up. Lorena, thank you very much for your time this morning. Congratulations once again. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you, John. It was my pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you.